1: Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365 day returns.
0: Hello and welcome to Off the Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. My guest today is photographer Jared Mangovitz. And oh my god, we have a wonderful chat. I mean we we touch on some some really interesting things and you know what it was like to, you know, experience the the, the kind of the moment Elvis, you know, blew up on onto the world scene, and and we talk about some incredible memories of his childhood that involve Peter Sellers um, coming round for lunch and 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 taking photos. There's there's so much more. Clubbing with the Stones and 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 the Beatles. Um, they're just you know a, a few little parts that you're going to get to hear, um, Gerald, elaborate on in this this episode. It's wonderful. Um, Thanks to Asha um, for facilitating this. Obviously, the you know one of the things that Jared's up to at the moment is the uh, icon series on Sky Arts, and I've, I've seen two uh, so far, and it's wonderful. If you like music and you like photography and you like the, you know the visual elements of music, then then go and watch it. it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful series. Um, a few other thank yous before we get on to the episode. Thank you to Scribius Pip and everybody at the Distraction Pieces Network. Um, thank you to Seventy Six for producing this podcast. And if this is your first time listening to Off the Beaten Track, then um when you finish listening to this wonderful chat, then um why not have a look in the archives? Because, you know, if music's your thing, then you can hear me talking to, you know, a variety of artists from chuck d to chic to james lavelle to melanie c to the deftones you know actors like maxine peak uh, amanda abington and if you like your you know your, your, your photographers then i spoke to dean chalkley who also features on the the icon series um simon halfen uh the art director that works on Listen without prejudice, and, and and the style council stuff. There's, I've spoken to directors, and oh, there's 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 two hundred episodes. Um, so go and have a, a rummage in the archives, and I'm sure you'll find some, some wonderful chats with some oh, incredible creative people. And if you'd like to support the podcast, um, because I should stress this is a, a labour of love, uh, you can do so. And and what you also get if you do is four extra episodes every week. So you find out about that at Patreon, uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N, Patreon forward slash, patreon.com, sorry, forward slash off the beaten track. And yeah, if you go over there for about 80p a week, I think it is, you get four extra shows a week, uh, you know, 16 a month and video episodes and all sorts of stuff for for literally a fiver, I think, $5, in fact, a month. So, um, and that really does, that really does help. It all goes in the pot to kind of... Help me keep, you know, paying for the production and, and you know, making these podcasts happen. So, um and and you know, I can't thank you enough so far for the, the support that you've given off the bean track. It's such a joy to do this and and you know, when I pressed stop on, on this episode, it was just just beaming with, you know, just a, a lovely chat of a wonderful, warm human being and uh, and I'm gonna get on with it. So it does give me great pleasure to say please enjoy today's episode with Jared. Off the beat and track podcast on the distraction pieces network. With me stew with it. Okay, uh, we're recording. Uh, joining me today is Jared. How are you doing?
1: I'm doing well. I'm just going to switch off my Wi
0: Fi there. <laughs> so, Jared, before we get into your, your playlist of your records, um, how have you found this year, um, as, as, as both a human and uh, creative
1: well um it's (laughs) uh, okay so it's it's a it's a very that's a very complicated question Uh, and i'll tell you for why um I, i i've lived and worked from home for years best part of 15 years and um so i'm very used to working in my office being very um proactive i understand the routines of working at home i love it uh, and so in that sense this year hasn't been madly different um we live in a very beautiful place where you know we we're right in the countryside we have the most beautiful woods and walks around us and we have so really life has not been that different, except it's been completely different. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Obviously, you know, the lockdown restrictions are problematic, but we've dealt with them. We miss our family, um, but we've sort of managed to deal with that quite well. Um, I think the biggest strain, uh, really, and I think everybody in the country, if not in the world, uh, has been living with this tremendous mental anguish this anxiety this stress of one level or another I I wouldn't want to suggest for a moment that the stress that we feel is remotely like the stress that people must feel who are at the end of their tether in a tower block with no money coming in it must be absolutely soul-destroyingly ghastly and my you know my heart goes out to all those millions of people who are suffering like that um, but everybody, however, whatever their situation has been experiencing mental anguish and anxiety and, you know, we're not sleeping as well as we do, you know, <laughs> a big deal, but you know, uh, we miss people. We're well, I mean, this year has been a monstrous year, not just because of COVID, which has been quite ghastly, but because of the American elections, mm-hmm. because of Brexit coming up and ongoing, and all the ghastliness related to those things as well. So it's, it's been a very difficult year, but we've been very lucky and very fortunate, and we've coped with it really well. And I've been very creative. I mean, I've done, you know, I've done a lot of work um, while I've been here. And and so, I, it, you know, I've been very lucky. What can I say?
0: And, and obviously the show's launched as well uh, in the, in the middle of the pandemic as well.
1: Yes, and, and in a perverse way, um, the pandemic has helped us a little bit with Icon because um, I, don't, I, I think without it, I don't think Dick Carruthers, the director, could have focused his attention on the final editing process. Although it extended the process, it, it made it slower because everybody had to be working from home. But I think it allowed him to focus on it in a way that maybe he simply wouldn't have been able to do as intently um if if we'd been leading a normal life um so in that sense i think the show has benefited from uh the extraordinary focus that dick has been able to give it in the last few months
0: and for uh listeners that might not be um aware of icon yet do you want to sort of explain a little bit about what the show is
1: Absolutely. I'd love to. So Icon Music Through the Lens is six one-hour episodes being broadcast now on Sky Arts on Fridays at 10 o'clock. Um, and as you know, Sky Arts is now free to air. It's on free, Freeview on Channel 11 and, and lots of other devices. So that's brilliant for us. It's a, it's The, the six one-hours um, are divided into... Um, six programs that focus on different aspects of music photography so episode one is called on camera and really it's an introduction to the series an introduction to music photography focusing primarily on uh creative studio image making photography studio Uh, episode two studio two (laughs) funny slip Uh, episode two is on the road so that's live photography backstage photography it's it's a fantastic absolutely fantastic episode really energetic you feel exhausted at the end as though you've been at a live concert episode three um which is this week i'm not sure when when we're going to be broadcast but it's this friday um is on the record, which is album sleeves. Um, And episode four is on the cover, which is editorial, all about magazines, music press, being on the cover of the magazine, being on the cover of Rolling Stone, for instance. Um, uh, And it's full of extraordinary detail about how covers come about, um, the sessions, uh, art directors talking about designers, editors, Um, Very comprehensive. Um, And uh, episode five is On the Wall, which is really about how music photography has been elevated to a fine art form, a collectible art form. So in that episode, we've got fantastic interviews with gallerists, curators, academics, um, talking about just that extraordinary journey that music photography has taken from packaging albums to gracing the walls of museums and galleries all over the world. And then episode six is on the net, the future, Instagram, mobile phones, Facebook, what's happening, is photography dead or isn't it? And uh, it's a very optimistic and full-on episode that explores all those questions that so many of us professional photographers are dealing with, but also, you know, the changing face of music. Now, I mean, I know that vinyl has had a little sort of uplift over the last few years, but, you know, basically there aren't any covers anymore, Yeah, you know, I, I, and, and that, which is, which is of course tragic for us. Um,
0: we, we, we speak about this, uh, uh, you know, we, I speak about this to a lot of guests um that the, I guess a kind of you know 40 plus uh, uh 47 you know I grew up just you know absolutely devouring vinyl and 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 the artwork that was you know was very much part of that and and it's very strange because these conversations come up so many times of the journey of going to buy a record which I'm sure we'll touch upon as we you know as we further ourselves into the podcast but it's the one thing that I understand that there's pros and cons to the way that people can get their hands on music now, and I think it's really great that people have got open access now to go and find out about so much music, you know, literally within seconds on their phone. But the big loss that I think is is, is the biggest loss is the artwork because you don't get you don't get to devour it, you know, as, as you would when you could afford one record a week and you put it on and then you, while you was listening... You would literally study the cover, read the sleeve notes. And, and, and I think that's, that's something that, that I feel is a loss.
1: Yes. And, of course, I think that from a, from a musician's point of view, the actual making of an album, I mean, an album was very carefully thought about. It was constructed. Not only did it have two sides, but it would have perhaps six or seven tracks each side. They were a progression Uh, It was a musical journey as far as the art is concerned. Sometimes, of course, that was a a load of pretentious twaddle. But but nevertheless, it was an experience. You didn't just dip in and cherry pick track three or track seven in the way that people do now. Um, So it was not just the fact that you saved up for it. You made a decision to buy a particular album. And it was a precious object, which, as you put it, you devoured when you got home but you also uh, you you of course you were listening to the music as the as the producer and the artist or the artist and the producer wanted you to hear it that was an important part of the experience and and not only that but of course the cover was crucial because it was a way of of seeing the artist of perhaps experiencing how the artists saw themselves in relation to the music that you're listening to, Um, you know, and and the cover was a beautiful art piece, 12 inches square, which is really quite big, um, and, and something that you could gaze into. And, of course, once we started putting lyrics on there and notes and funny stories and everything and multiple pictures then it had it became like a brochure like a book like a catalogue for the album so yeah um i miss that terribly almost everybody i know who's ever bought records misses records but at the same time you know life moves on technology has changed everything
0: Track one, Jared, the song that you regard as having the greatest ever intro.
1: Well, <clears throat> I've, I've chosen Ry Cuda, All Shook Up, and, and I love Ry uh, I've loved Ry Cuda for the best part of 50 years, I think, um, and one of his early albums, Into the Purple Valley, was one of those covers that I always wish I had done, you know, my life is littered by other people's covers uh, that I wish I'd shot. And and Into the Purple Valley by Raikuda is one of those. But um, I love this. Raikuda all shook up. Uh, the introduction is just fantastic. I mean, his playing is fantastic anyway, but it's just it's so dirty and funky and it just makes me smile whenever I hear it I smile it just makes me feel good and when it gets into that dirty funky rhythm it's just it's just great
0: I, I, I mean I've seen that obviously I've gone through your selection of choices and quite a few um feature uh, in different films um <laughs> S- certainly uh the,
1: I never thought about that but yes of course they do
0: certainly the first and the last and I'm sure there was another one as, yeah, there as, was
1: number three
0: yeah of course of course <laughs> so I, I guess you know having such a, a, a you know a, a creative eye and, and mind do you when you listen to music you know do you, does it create pictures in your mind
1: Yes and no um that's a really interesting question yes it it sometimes does i think what it does is it, it in the, particularly for this selection because this is a sort of memory lane nostalgia selection so it it reminds me of moments and i picture moments all shook up i mean because it's an elvis presley song and was a great song and an important song from my childhood anyway um so that's a nice Uh, aspect of it but I chose it just because this intro because of Raikuda his playing his sound I love his sound I mean even if even on some of the albums he's made which are perhaps um, not entirely my sort of music maybe they're a little too gentle or something or a little too country in a way it's his sound is just fantastic his skill his taste his style He is just a fantastic uh, master musician. And and that's what I love about this particular intro. But you're you're mentioning there are three films. Yes, I I hadn't thought about that um, when I selected them. Although, of course, yes, they're very important
0: to, to the choices. Track two, I'm going to ask you the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. (laughs)
1: <laughs> well this goes back to 1957 i i was about 11 and um i was just getting interested in girls uh i was just sort of seeing girls in a different way and i was always drawn to older girls <laughs> and diana by paul Anker is a thir- is a is a a, a song about a young man having a crush on an older girl. And I, I think that the feeling of it, I mean, I, to be honest, I've never really listened to, to the lyrics in, in, in great depth or detail. It's just the sound, there's a fantastic brass sound in it, as, as saxophones, I guess. But there's just a feeling about it. And it just, I remember hearing it probably on Radio Luxembourg, having these. Early emotions and um, being drawn <laughs> to to older women, and uh, hearing this record, and it just sort of struck a chord.
0: So that emotion would have been what lust and excitement, I guess.
1: <laughs> Probably disappointment <laughs> and an um, unfulfilled disappointment. Um, Yes, sort of d- desire, unfulfilled desire.
0: Wonderful. <laughs> so, where where was home then? Where, where where was you born?
1: I was born in London, uh, northwest London, in the fifties. When I was at, at the school at this particular moment in time, I just started at a school called King Alfred's in Hampstead, and um, we lived in the sort of actually we lived, um, funnily enough, we lived about. Um, Two minutes walk from Abbey Road Studios. All right, um, and not although it was a studios at the time, we weren't particularly aware of it. Um, it wasn't famous uh, uh, at all, um, and we lived in a funny little Victorian cottage just tucked round the back there, um, in the shadow of a huge block of flats called Grove Hall Court. And um, but we lived there, and I went to school on on the number 13 um to cold as green and they walked up the hill and and i yeah so i've lived in london i was in london uh, all my life uh until about 12 15 years ago when when we moved to cornwall which is where i am now where i'm talking to you now
0: from well i'm going to take you back to um to, to the school now because for, for track three i'm going to ask you which song uh, reminds you of your time at school
1: Well, here's the the movie uh, link again, Jailhouse Rock by Elvis Presley. Um, Now, I've been thinking about this. Uh, I love Jailhouse Rock, Um, and I love what it, you asked me about images, and the one image that came up was that extraordinary movement of Elvis in his sort of dark denim prison outfit, I suppose. Shaking his hips and throwing his body in the opposite direction, throwing a shape at a time when we didn't know anything about throwing shapes, and dancing with an abandon that just seemed um, alien and, and so exciting. And Jailhouse Rock came out in 58. So uh, I'd moved on a little bit from um, from Diana, and and this was a record that I remember loving and sharing with my mates at school. I, 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 I feel that this is probably the first, if not one of the first, um, records that we all shared. It did something to us as, as, as boys, 12, 13-year-old boys. And um, yes, and it was very exciting. What I don't remember is where I saw Jailhouse Rock, now I've got a feeling that it was the album sleeve more than the movie itself. I'm not sure how I would have seen the movie, but I do remember the album and um, and and that image of Elvis on the cover.
0: I'm always fascinated when guests have experienced like movements in music, and you know, speaking to people that you know were, were very much involved in the punk scene and things like that. Just scenes that unfortunately happened before. Before you know, I was I was you know into music or 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 about, and I'm just fascinated to know like how much of a, an impact did that have on you seeing like Elvis? Because my God, he looked incredible. He sounded incredible. He sounded like nothing else before. Like how, how did how did that make you as a young man feel seeing Elvis?
1: Well that 's a that 's a difficult question i just don 't really know how I feel. I just have a vision of myself and my friends outside in break um at school trying to do those moves without really you know hearing the record in our heads i don 't think we had a we definitely didn 't have a common room when we were that age you didn 't have yeah. common rooms until you were you know in the when you were fifteen maybe and up in the older classes. Um, I don't know. Uh, the, the, The short answer is, I just don't know. I just remember the impact that the music had and the vision of Elvis. And it just meant that there was something out there that was so different and so unique, something that we couldn't hold on to, something that was we wanted to aspire to in some way or other um and I think that it was probably the you know the beginning of this interest in you know rock and roll and popular rock and roll if 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 you know what I mean yeah, of course
0: did you have any idea what you wanted to be when you was at school
1: um well, uh, I, I did not, not probably at eleven or twelve. Although I'd had my sort of, uh, I'd had this extraordinary experience of um, uh, my father, who was a producer and a writer in in films and theatre. He was working with Peter Sellers uh, on a on a film project, and Sellers came to our house for lunch, and he bought with him. Uh, a complete Hasselblad 500C camera kit uh, and a Polaroid. A Polaroid in those days was a pretty new thing. And and he took photographs of me and my brothers on the Polaroid, which was just an extraordinary magical thing, seeing these pictures emerge uh, sort of pretty much in front of your eyes and the complexity of the the Polaroid, which was like a great big fold-out camera, It it was huge, Um, and
0: and being taken by Peter Sellers.
1: (laughs) Well, and being taken by
0: Peter Sellers,
1: who I was in awe of anyway, because I was a Goon Show fan. Um, uh, I listened to the Goon Show, and I just loved their zany humour. So I was in awe of Sellers, and then he showed me the Hasselblad, which is a a most beautiful piece of equipment, and and. big camera with fantastic lenses and everything. And he showed me how it put together and he described it and explained it. and did it. But he did it in a goon show type Swedish Amazing. chef voice. And I was weeping, weeping with laughter and wetting myself almost and I, I just thought I just fell in love with the equipment I fell in love with the whole idea I related cameras to laughter <laughs> and um I just thought then that, that I wanted a Hasselblad and I wanted to be a camera I, I wanted to be a photographer and I, I and I didn't think much of it um, at that point but when I was 13 uh, maybe 14 uh, my grandmother uh, I think trying to encourage this interest um, gave me a small camera, which I took on a school holiday um, to Delft in Holland. And I took some pictures and uh, my father looked at them when they came back from Boots, the chemists, and he thought they showed promise. So he showed them To another friend of his, Tom Blau, who owned Camera Press, which was and still is a huge picture library in London. And Tom Blau very sweetly, very generously uh, bought two of my pictures that I'd taken on the school holiday. But most importantly of all, he offered me an apprenticeship if I wanted to leave school and pursue photography. And that was it. Nothing was going to sway me from that course. And I left school at the end of that term, or a couple of terms, the, the term that runs into the to the summer holiday. And I was 14, but I turned 15 in the holiday, so I was able to leave school, and went and started my apprenticeship with Tom Blau straight away. Um, so I, I did know, going back to your question, having been so long-winded, I did know at school that I wanted to be a photographer, yes.
0: Well, Short answer. I could have just said yes. I did. No, no, it was wonderful. Um, for for track four, let's let's just go back a little bit um, before we move forwards. And that's for the first song that you remember buying from a record shop. Please.
1: Well, I've I've chosen uh, "Stay" by Morris Williams and the Zodiacs.
0: Which is in a um, film. Is it? It's in Dirty Dancing.
1: Ah, well, but come on. I mean, <laughs> uh, dirty dancing. What was that, 28 years later? Or something? Um, uh, OK, well, that's but there, there you go. I mean, it was that good that they wanted to put it in a film. <laughs> those years later. When I first heard that, um, I had no idea what Morris Williams uh, and the Zodiacs looked like. I, I heard it, I'm, I'm pretty sure, on on my little headphone, radio, listening to Radio Luxembourg, And I just thought it was fantastic, it just got me. Um, It really got me, and I just loved it, I loved the pace of it. Um, Listening to it now, uh, I still love it, I think it's absolutely fantastic. It's very short, but then singles were very short in those days, I mean, you know, uh, two minute 20 or something was an average single. And I just love it, I think it's funky, it's got that fantastic falsetto. And it just, I just love it. It feels good. It makes me feel good. And I love the beat to it. I love those harmonies. I love that doo-wop, the doo-wop roots to it. So I really love it. And um, the interesting thing is that, as I said, I have no idea what they looked like, but I went into a record shop, I guess to buy it. um, And behind the counter, there was a poster of, Um, stay and there was and I was terribly disappointed because the the zodiacs were four guys and I imagined listening to that falsetto that there was going to be a beautiful young woman yeah see that it was you know uh and it wasn't it was this extraordinary giant of a man who had this, this gorgeous falsetto voice but it was a it was a great eye opener, and I think it was also a point that subliminally, if not consciously, uh, made me see how important photography was to music. Because until that moment, I, I had no idea what Morris Williams and the Zodiacs looked like.
0: It's a it's a wonderful record, that Jared, and and I think once you've heard it once, every time you listen to it after that, you just are waiting for the, the falsetto the Fossette verse to come in because it's so good, and it's interesting that you, you you talk about how short singles were then. I think we we've kind of gone full circle uh, on that now. I think, especially with the pop single, because I, I guess you know them early doo wop singles and and so much of the Motown stuff. They're short, sharp. There's no there's no fat on the bone. It's just you know pop hooks, thick and fast. And and I think that was the case. And I think in the seventies things started to kind of stretch their legs a little bit and all of a sudden you know people were spending you know were, were releasing records that were you know like kind of as you, you touched upon at the beginning like albums that have to be listened to as a body of work you know where you <laughs> know you was getting Marvin just going well look I'm not going to do these Motan hip pop singles anymore I'm going to do this concept album called What's Going On and and then that leads into you know, the realms of of progressive rock and and, and things like that, where all of a sudden it seemed there was no boundaries or constraints. And I think as in more recent times, we've now seen with the way that people listen to music, where it's so fast and like disposable, where where it's all free and it's all accessible. I think people's attention spans, you know, on the whole, not everybody, but are quite I, I, I want the quickness of it. I want I want the whole thing as quick as I can. And and I think we've gone kind of full circle again on that. When you look at the big commercial pop records now, they're straight in with the chorus, and there's you know there's no fat on the bone again. It's uh, it's it, it's all sickly sweet and 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 well manufactured. You know as it was back in the day of, of doo wop and Motown. I think it's quite interesting.
1: That's very interesting. And of course, I, I guess that one of the reasons why singles were so short originally. Was because of radio play, mm. because the radio uh, DJs and the programmers just didn't think people were going to hang around for more than two and a half minutes. Mm. And maybe now that people have got to make their music so instantly accessible, then the same thinking, but is 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 applying. Um, it's uh, yes, it's interesting. I hadn't really thought about it, but yes, it's interesting
0: um it, it's it's weird that you say radio as well I, I i got to sit and talk to um Andy McCluskey of Orchestral moves in the Dark a little while ago and he um explained to me that you know post his work with OMD he would become predominantly a songwriter for pop artists and I was then explained to him um that that Radio 1 wouldn't play uh, a record if the vocals hadn't kicked in by by 19 seconds And I just find that sort of thing's fascinating. And and, and that was in the kind of, you know, tail end of the 90s. So, you know, I I find that really interesting, the way that people, how how people ingest their music now and how, you know, on the whole, the stuff that you're given on commercial radio is very slick, tight, short, and to the point. And I I think there's a lot of art gets lost in there. You know, I think there's, there's there's something to be said for letting music breathe a little bit and people get a bit more creative. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I just always find it very, very fascinating how people's sort of, you know, the market place works with people's sort of listening habits. Very, very, very fascinating. Yes, very interesting indeed. For track five, I'm going to ask you the song that soundtracked your years clubbing, please.
1: Yes. <laughs> it's funny. When I first read this question... I thought clubbing, I don't club, I never club. Then, of course, course, I realised I did club a lot in the 60s and the club that we went to or I went to more than any other was called the Ad-Lib Club. And the Ad-Lib Club was um, off Leicester Square in, and I've completely forgotten the name of the Little Road, but it was um, right above a new cinema theatre, which I think was called the Prince Charles Theatre, and it was so it was in a modern building. You went in a lift that had a glass ceiling or mirrored ceiling rather. Um, and it you, you sort of came out of the lift and the noise just hit you. So it was on. It wasn't very high up. It was on the top of the building, which was only five or six floors up, I guess. But you still had a view out of the windows across bits of London. You still had this sense of being above it all. And it had a fantastic Dance floor. I was going to say disco dance floor. And (laughs) tables all around. And uh, they served food there. And it was a really fantastic club. I loved it. And you'd bump into Jimi Hendrix there. The Beatles would be there. The Stones would be there. I remember PJ Proby used to have a sort of almost have his own table in a corner. And he had a funny guy with him called Bongo Wolf. God knows. I don't know whether he Anyway, it was a crazy time and we, we, it was lovely and it was definitely uh, my clubbing period. And the music, the track I particularly remember, uh, the music was Motown. For, for me, that mid-60s period was dominated by Motown and Nowhere to Run by Martha and the Vandellas just got the whole dance floor going everybody doing the movements, a sort of combination of Martha's movements and Diana Ross's movements and whatever was the in the mashed potato or the whatever, <laughs> whatever it was. And it was just crazy and it was f- such fun. And uh, and so that's, yes, that's the song I've selected for my clubbing. years.
0: And it's a glorious record, Jordan, absolute masterpiece of a, of, of a pop hit that um, you, you touched on something there and I, you know, when in my clubbing years, I would go to you know whatever the local club was and generally just see kind of all the all the local lads that I went to school with and uh and things like that. I certainly didn't walk into a club where there was Jimi Hendrix, the Beatles, and the Stones. How, <laughs> I mean, how did that come about? And I mean, was you already had you already sort of worked with, with, with Hendrix at that point on the Stones or or well, was...
1: obviously I hadn't worked with Hendrix in 65, so I, I, I was I was sort of I was painting a very general picture then of mid-60s London. But yes, um, the thing is that what's really difficult to get across nowadays is that London was very small. Swinging London was even smaller. Um, And the club scene was really small. I mean, there were maybe a dozen clubs uh, in London uh, several of which were sort of out of bounds because they were dodgy, you know, blood on the steps sort of places. Um, and, and then there were six or seven uh, really great discos. They were known as discos. So the, the ad lib was my favourite. Um, um, but there was the Crazy Elephant in in german street which was literally within 5 minutes of my studio there was the scotch of st james which was actually next door to my studio um and there was the cromwellian which was towards down towards south kensington and there was the pheasantry on um king's road and and a couple of others and these were places where I can't remember whether it was a sort of, oh, Thursday we'll go to the Cromwellian, Saturday we'll go to the Adlib. I can't remember that. Uh, and generally I went to the Adlib because I just felt comfortable there. But the the scene, for want of a better word, was filled with, you know, musicians and actors. And, and they went to the clubs. They were the people who were powering uh, Swinging London. and And so... Uh, I was very much part of Swinging London. It sounds, feels ridiculous to say it, but I was. You know, my studio was right in the heart of it. Um, um, My world, briefly, for that mid-60s period, was Swinging London. You know, I was photographing the artists and I was hanging out in the clubs in the evening, and you would the Beatles would be there and, and, and the Stones would be there. And from 66 onwards, Jimmy would be there. Jimmy played at the Scotch. He, 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 you know, busked, um, what's the word? I can't think of the right word. Um, jammed. He jammed with the house blues band at the Scotch of St. James, because I think the Scotch was Chas Chandler's favorite club. And so when on the way back from the airport, from Jimmy coming into London, uh, in whenever it was October 66, um, Chaz took him to to uh, the Scotch of St James and, and my studio was literally next door and um and Jimmy that was Jimmy's first taste of London nightlife so yes it was an extraordinary time and full of extraordinary people and it was just i just remember fun and music and a lot of dancing a lot of incredibly beautiful women models and actresses and singers and um yeah, just just a great time, really.
0: What a time to be alive! <laughs> yes,
1: yes, I'm very lucky. Definitely very lucky. Very lucky to remember it now, and um, and uh, yes, able to embarrass my daughters and my grandchildren <laughs> with my dancing even now.
0: Oh, lovely! For um, for track six, I'm going to ask you for a favourite song from an artist from your home county, please.
1: Well, I've slightly cheated here. So I I don't know quite, because because my home county is now Cornwall, um, and and there aren't many, I mean, there are lots of musicians, of course, in the the West Country. But I chose Mick Fleetwood because he he was born in Redruth. And I've always loved aspects of Fleetwood Mac. And I love Tusk. It, it had that, you know, what was it? The college band, the brass band the thing. And I just love the beat of it. I love the way it builds. I love the strange balance between the voices and the sound. I, I always loved that track. So I chose that. But if my birth county is London, and so I chose the Stones' Painted Black, um, which is one of my great favourite Stones tracks and so I don't know whether that's cheating but that's no what I did.
0: no I'll let you off you can have you can have an honourable mention there and, and 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 I mean Painted Black's a, a I mean a, as is Tusk I mean Tusk is a he's a cracker sounding record and it's got such a groove to it as well and and you're right the mix of the vocals is it's a it's quite a captivating record that um, but just to sort of touch on the Stones a little bit um like your, your relationship with, with working with them, did, I'm just. I do not want to sort of hang on to the the the, the, the clubbing um, question. But in these clubs, when you know you would be, uh, and there would be all of these different sorts of people there, would that also be where these relationships were formed, and 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 you know networks would form through through that, or would it be the other way around? You know, did you meet the Stones through that, or did it come from a you know a much more kind of sort of management type? You know, traditional setup for work—a
1: mixture of the two. Um, funnily enough, I did meet the first stone I ever met in '64 was Brian Jones, and I met him in a club, and he was having dinner in a club, and he uh, he there were some friends on the table, and they called me over, and I met Brian, and Brian was, you know, immensely charming and 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 polite, and and very in, very nice company, but. Um, I think that most of my work came on a, on a business level. It was always very uh, business, very professional, came through the management, came through the record company. It very rarely came directly through the artist. Um, uh, and I really, I sort of feel as though, although I might bump into, say I bump into Chaz Chandler, um at the club and and he always extremely friendly he might easily say to me i've got a new band they're called ambrose slade i really want you to work with them you know we've got problem with one of them called dave hill he's a bit difficult but (laughs) or whatever you know or i bump into um you know somebody else and 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 they'd say can you come into the office but it was it, it, it was really in those days oh i think i should get another cross another point in those days the the clubs weren't accessible to the public now i don't mean they were closed off i just mean that the the public the fans weren't out on the street yet they of course if they found out where somebody lived they might be hanging around with their brownies hoping to get a picture but the clubs one of the reasons the clubs were so fantastic was that the Beatles and the Stones and all the others could be there without being hassled without being bothered without you know if there were journalists there the journalists were completely you know the clock has switched off they were just hanging out themselves there was no paparazzi there was no um stress or strain about it there was no worrying about what was who was waiting for you round the corner you know with a with a camera ready to take a, a compromising picture so everybody was very relaxed everybody was very chilled everybody was very comfortable and 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 there was no aggression i don't remember any aggression at all i remember a lot of giggling and a lot of laughing and a hell of a lot of dancing
0: Wonderful. For your last track, I'm going to ask you to tell me a song that many may not know that you would like them to hear.
1: Well, I I thought of so much. There are so many tracks that I wanted to slip in here. And in the end, I I've gone for Bob Dylan knocking on heaven's door. Um, this is a record that means a lot to, to, to me and to Julia, my wife, and uh, and lifelong partner. We've been married for 50 years, so um, and she was with me throughout uh, a lot of the 60s we were together. So um, but this record has a particular uh, meaning for us. I've always loved it. I've always loved Bob Dylan. I don't think this is a track that is particularly well-known, I suppose, Bob Dylan, Aficionados. Know it. I don't even know whether they like it. I don't know how rated it is in in the in the Bob Dylan canon. I've always loved it. It has a fantastic feeling to me. It has a fantastic emotion to me. And I we would we were driving around America in the seventies, early seventies, Julia and I, and we came to a diner in the middle of the desert. Pretty much. That's the image. And when we went into this diner, which was checkered tablecloths, and there was a jukebox, and this was playing. And it just fitted that fantasy at that moment, uh, this this fantasy of America, the, the perfection of this aspect of America. America was still, at that moment, the land of our dreams, um, gosh things have changed <laughs> but, but but it was it really was and and this was just a fantastic this classic american cliche the the diner in the middle of the desert and this song playing on the jukebox as we came in
0: oh incredible choice um jerry we put together a spotify playlist to accompany the podcast so people can go and listen to all of your song choices um as we find ourselves sort of getting to the end of of 2020 and and looking towards a, a you know a, a more positive and freer 2021 hopefully um what are you looking forward to um in in 2021 and and what are you up to professionally
1: well um icon's still taking up <coughs> quite a lot of my time quite a lot of my energy and quite a lot of my thinking um i'm um i'm actually building a new website i don't mean I'm, I'm i'm not physically building it but we're building a new website which i hope we're going to be launching so this in the next few weeks so this month i'm i'm i think the word is populating my new website and trying to uh, <laughs> so preparing hundreds of images and uploading them and writing captions and trying to get it looking great trying to get it working i think it's going to be a huge improvement on what I've had in the past. And I think that 1921, 1921, here I go, 2021 (laughs) 2021 is going to be, um, I think that an awful lot of the things that we've experienced this year, uh, the increase of buying online, for instance, um, um, I think is going to, consolidate next year i mean i don't want to be a wet blanket i don't want to be a pessimist but i don't think that next year is going to be dramatically different certainly for the first six months i think it's going to take a long time for the vaccine to get distributed and and finalized and all of that so i think it's very exciting these last few days we're all terribly excited all terribly worked up about the prospect of 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 a vaccine and uh, which is wonderful. Of course, it's wonderful. Um, it's what what I'm sure we all need, but uh, it's going to take a long time, much longer. So 2021 is, is for me, I think, is probably going to be similar to 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 what it has been for these last nine months, uh, hopefully with more optimism, uh, with some light at the end of the tunnel and some optimism there as well. But I'm so I'm you know going to carry on doing what I'm doing. I've just published uh, another book, um, the, "Going Home with the Rolling Stones" 1966. Uh, I'm working on a, an, a yet another book. So I just keep working, very proactive, trying to come up with new ways of presenting my work. Um, and I you know it'll it'll be I guess it's going to be more of the same. Certainly for the first three to six months of
0: 21 and the the website that's um that's being built at the moment um where will people be able to look at that what's the address
1: oh it's mankowitz.com it's it's always been mankowitz.com and and so www.mankowitz.com m-a-n-k-o-w-i-t-z
0: wonderful yeah we'll, we'll tag that in when we put this out um Jared, it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thank you so much for your time today. It's been it's been really really interesting.
1: Thank you, Stu. It's been lovely talking to you, and 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 great to you know have an interview, a conversation that that focuses on such sort of different areas. Really, it's it's nice to to not always have to explain what Jimi Hendrix was like.
0: <laughs> Wonderful. Thank you very much, Jared. Pleasure Stu. There you go. Peter Sellers popping over to take some photos, clubbing with the Beatles, Hendrix and Stones. And it's just, just a fascinating insight into what, you know, swinging London must have been like. Just so exciting. And, yeah, what a, what a warm and kind gentleman and a, a lovely chat. And, yeah, go and, go and watch the – I don't need to tell you to go and watch the Icon documentary now because um, I'm sure you are all going to be – choking at the bit to to watch that and uh and like i said catch my conversations with dean chalkley as well who features on there and uh and why not go and have a, a rummage in the archives of this podcast because there's 200 episodes now with just some amazing creatives whether they be musicians djs producers actors comedians yeah go and go and have a look because there's some cracking stuff to be enjoyed I'm back next time. Uh, If you'd like to support the podcast, then you can do so at patreon.com forward slash off the beaten track. And uh, and I'll be back soon. See you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B E A T one five, and that'll save you fifteen percent off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off the Beaten Track podcast. It's off the Bait and Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me stew with it.
1: Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter.